0: Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Welcome back to our new episode. Now, I've been listening to some podcasts. I never had listened to them before. I did my own. And it apparently seems that most podcasts begin with music and a long introduction. I find that to be maddening. It's bad enough that I've got to sit and listen to someone else talking at me. I just want to get on with it. Tell me what's in your head. I don't need to hear the music. I don't need to hear the long intros. Just get on with it. That's the beauty of the podcast. We don't need the long introduction. So we'll start right off on a topic that I have mostly controlled myself from talking about publicly, and it's the University of Pennsylvania transgender swimmer controversy. I discussed it a bit during my weekly Monday morning hit on WOR radio, 7.10 a.m., and every Monday morning I do it at 7.05. But much as has happened since the story first broke, now if you recall, this is the story of Leah, formerly known as Will Thomas. She swam for three years as a man on the Penn's male swimming team, and then decided to become a woman. She took some testosterone-blocking drugs for a year, and that's enough in today's ridiculous, uh, I guess, leftist academic landscape for a man to switch to the women's team and swim as a woman. Now, let me just get this straight from the beginning. I'm all for trans rights. I have no problem with uh, with people wanting to change their sex. As long as it doesn't hurt other people, I don't care what the hell you do with your life. Anyway, uh, Leah, formerly Will, went from being an average Ivy League swimmer, and let's be honest, the Ivy League is a below average sports conference. It's not like it's the Big Ten or the ACC or the SEC. And she went from that to becoming not only the best female swimmer in the country, but perhaps the best female swimmer ever. And it just seems so bizarre to me because isn't the dream of every person who switches sexes, isn't their dream one of equality? That's what they want. And clearly Leah Thomas has not transitioned over equally to a woman in terms of her strength and other qualities that make men faster uh, and stronger than women when it comes to swimming. She's had 19 years of testosterone, male muscular growth, and a year of testosterone blocking drugs just doesn't reverse that clearly. In fact, the difference between male and female racing times are about 11% difference in swimming. And these testosterone blockers lower that to about 8 to 9%. So. She's not going from 11% to zero, and she's now competing equally as a woman. She's only losing a couple of percentage points from her male time. And I just find this to be incredible that I suppose the NCAA is just allowing this. Now, again, it's okay as long as she's not hurting other people. But this is a wildly unfair situation. It's really confusing as well. Imagine being one of the girls on the team. You're you've been training your whole life in swimming and you come back to school next year and Will Thomas is swimming against you except now he's a she and is wearing a one-piece bathing suit and just kicking the crap out of you in practice and in meets. And if you're going to be fair, you want to be the same level of swimmer that you are as a man as you are as a woman. That's the point. It's not like she suddenly became a better swimmer, she just became a woman, I suppose, with a lot of male testosterone still in her. And because colleges are such leftist cesspools, as I said, the NCAA, University of Pennsylvania, they're just not only allowing it, but they're like strongly telling the other girls on the team to shut their mouths, to not uh, talk about this in public. And what they're also doing is they're just crushing the hopes and dreams of all the girls on the team they're crushing all of her competitors, uh, Leah Thomas's competitors and meets. And she may set NCAA records that will surpass even Olympic gold medalist women in March when the NCAA's uh, happen. It just doesn't make any sense to me because when you think about it in sports, athletes compete for every possible advantage. Swimmers shave all the hair off their bodies. They wear the thinnest of swimsuits, they made of special materials made to reduce drag in the water, every one hundredth of a second matters. And all of a sudden, some dude in a one-piece bathing suit with no breasts, you know, just a male body still, with the, the, the frank and beans still attached below, uh, waltzes in, manages to get times closer to a man's time than a woman's. And because uh, America academia is such a liberal wasteland, We have to just sort of pretend that it's okay. And it makes me think the women, excuse me, the liberals not care about women at all. Do they not care about the girls who train their entire lives to complete, to compete on a level playing field? Or are they just concerned about identity politics, about advancing the, the most far left agenda, which in this case is trans people, while not giving a damn about anything or anyone else? And it's not like I'm saying this, you know, from a place of transphobia. You've got world-class athletes like Caitlyn Jenner screaming that this is unfair, Who formerly Bruce Jenner, an Olympic gold medalist in the uh, decathlon. She's even saying how ridiculously unfair this is. You've got world-class gay athletes like Martina Navratilova saying the same thing, that it's unfair. But no, the American educational system has to be the, the furthest left possible. And that's just how it's going to be. And Leah, respectfully, seems to be very slowly transitioning into becoming a woman. I mean, this was a heterosexual guy when he decided to transition, But guess what? Leah, as a woman, still likes girls. Did the NCAA, the coaches at UPenn, did they ask the other girls in the locker room how they feel about some former guy who was still sexually attracted to women? walking around outside the pool during meets with her bathing suit top off because she's she's got a male chest, so it's not like she's flashing any boobs or anything. She's walking around. She's swinging that gherkin in the locker room. How do they feel about that? How do those kids feel about it? Are they allowed to be upset? Of course not. The women have come out anonymously and said that they hate it, that they're required to just accept it, and they're basically being sacrificed on the altar of uh, Political correctness of of liberal insanity. They're told that they have to allow her in the locker room, and there's really nothing anatomical about Leah Thomas that suggests she's even a woman. I mean, let's let's be honest about this. And again, I'm not being transphobic. I'm just pointing out what my eyes are telling me. Penis, yeah, she's got one. No boobs, check. That's it. For like the past ten thousand years. The way we determined if you were a man, did you have a penis or don't you have a penis? You do? Check. Do you got female boobs or don't you? You don't have them? Check. Congrats, you're a man. Now all of a sudden uh, we've become so enlightened that we need a new definition of gender after all these years, you know. And and the question is why? Because in the world of, of liberal insanity, everyone is expendable. Every person, nobody matters accept the ideology. That's all they care about. And as I said, the type of bathing suits that athletes wear has to be up to code so that no one can get even the slightest advantage during a, a swimming meet. But they can let a guy take a year of shots and now he can compete as a woman? I mean, it just throws out, you know, decades of trying to level the playing field. And the liberals, the people that fought against the, the East Germans doping The Russians doping all those harumphing liberals, where the fuck are they now? They're not saying a thing. It's clearly unfair. She beat her teammate in a race by 38 seconds. Her teammate came in second, 38 seconds. I mean, if this becomes accepted, guys who are average swimmers and decide that they want to become champions, they'll just take testosterone blockers for a year and then crush women and win every race. This will be the new normal: a, a women's uh, track meet, a women's swimming match will just be a bunch of dudes who took testosterone blockers for a year, and we're going to completely destroy women competitive swimming. And it's sad because do you think little girls are going to want to learn to swim and and become professional or become athletes in swimming in college if they know that they're going to get crushed by a bunch of dudes in a in a in a one piece and one funny thing happened with this that I noticed that didn't get a lot of press is that Leah tried to get away with this uh, in order to take some heat off of her. She tried to get away with what I'm about to describe. She, she lost the race on purpose when swimming in a meet. And it's fairly obvious. And who did she lose to? She didn't lose to another regular woman. She lost to a transgender swimmer from Yale. It's a, a woman who is becoming a man. Uh, I'm trying, I have to get my pronouns right. I apologize. She hasn't, she, she hasn't taken any testosterone treatment at all. So she's still 100% woman. It, all she did was just chop her boobs off. And somehow this one woman, she ha- managed to whip Leah Thomas, and it just happened to be her friend, another trans swimmer, who is bio- biologically a woman with no help from testosterone. All she did was lop off her boobs. So she's a woman. And somehow this woman managed to crush Leah Thomas in a race. Now, this woman, again, I'm, I'm getting my, I don't know if this is, if I'm saying this correctly, if she has her boobs lopped off, she hasn't started testosterone, she's swimming in a male, in a, in a female meet, but she has a male name and she calls herself Isaac, even though, as I said, she's got no penis. She's got no male testosterone levels. She's got female reproductive organs. She just happened to lop off her boobs, and she said that she's a woman. Excuse me. She said that she's a man, but she's swimming as a woman. It's very confusing. But in today's day and age of a, a female sport run by liberal lunatics, she can call herself a man, but swim as a woman. And, and somehow she's the only, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, you can't see this, she's the only woman to beat this hulking Leah, formerly known as Will Thomas. Somehow in a 50-second race, Leah Thomas managed to swim three and a half seconds slower than her her best time. Three and a half seconds in 50 meters. There's no way that that happened just naturally. And somehow this Isaac Hennig, who's swimming, Isaac without boobs is whatever. I can't keep doing this. I'm, I'm confused. I'm wrapped up in a pretzel. Now, here's what was racing that day in the pool, just so we get this straight. One biological woman claiming that she's a man, but swimming as a woman with a male name, no penis, no boobs, actual female sex organs intact. Now, she, he was racing against a biological man claiming she's a woman and swimming as a woman with a female name, no boobs, actual male sex organs of French bread attached below. How just utterly fucked up is this? And this is, in a microcosm, what happens when you see the world of higher education, the liberals. They screw it up beyond all repair. And we're giving, we've given our children to this ideology for decades. We're having them compete to get into universities where this shit is rammed down their throats. This is the place where America is bad, Israel is bad, Muslim terror states are good, black is white, the moon is made of green cheese. And I'm not saying this as a conservative. I'm not like some, some far-right maniac. I'm for gay rights. I'm for, for some gun control. I'm pro choice As I said, I'm, I'm for trans rights. As long as innocent people like these female swimmers I, I, I mentioned here aren't hurt because of those rights. I mean, Jesus Christ. We're giving our country away to mental patients who are more concerned about a trans agenda than even our national security. You want more? I'll give you more of this madness. A leaked video from last August shows migrants who managed to sneak into our country from our southern border. They're being transported on secret charter flights under the cover of night in, uh, from, from these from Mexico, I guess, into border border states. They're coming from there. They're going to Westchester, New York. Westchester Airport. A federal contractor told a Westchester County police officer in a conversation that was recorded on the officer's body camera on the tarmac of the Westchester airport in August of 2021, the government is betraying the American people. That's what he said. Why is it being done under the cover of night? You know why? They're trying to hide it from us. We took in two million illegals last year. Two million. Now multiply that times four. That's 8 million illegals who are going to cross our southern border in uh, Biden's administration during his four years. They're being dropped off in the dead of night to suburban towns in America. They'll end up surely becoming citizens and altering the landscape of America. And with inflation at a 40-year high, with people making less money because of it, with supply chain issues making it impossible to get many products in America nowadays, Do we really want to be strained further by taking in more illegals than we ever have in our history? I mean, I guess if you want to ensure that you win every election from here on out by bringing in more uh, voters who are going to vote for the people that give them free shit. This is all about changing America and turning it into a leftist European garbage dump. That's what this is. Now, if you watch the news carefully this week, there are other troubling signs that liberalism is eating away at our country. Now, let me just throw this in. I, I, this, I, I read this in the newspaper over the weekend. The liberals want to cancel all student loan debt. And mainly the liberals that want to cancel it are ones that have their own student debts. So they want to just give them free money. AOC, uh, Alexandra Cortez Jimenez, whatever the fuck her name is. She makes 200 grand a year and has 17,000 in debt and doesn't want to pay it back. She doesn't want to pay it back. She can't pay it back? She has no kids? She's just got that ginger-freak boyfriend. Jamal Bowman, another member of the squad and a congressman from New York, has a loan balance of between 100000 and 250000 according to his financial disclosures. He went to the University of New Haven, Mercy College, and Manhattanville College. Fine academic institutions. That ogre Rashida Tlaib? You know her, that Palestinian savage from... Where the fuck she's from? Uh, she owes between 50,000 and 100,000 in, in law school loans, and she went to Thomas Cooley Law School. OK That's OK, well, we'll get to that in a second. Noted Jew hater and brother Marrier, Ilhan Omar, a North Dakota State University graduate, reported between 15,000 and 50,000 in student loans. Uh, two th- thoughts first. What does this say about the Democratic Party that you can sign your name on a promise? To do something and just completely screw that person over if you decide years later you don't think it's fair. There is no gun put to these people's heads. And secondly, how shitty are these schools? How fucking dumb are these leftist politicians? Not to be a snob, but Thomas Cooley Law School, it's the worst law school in America. Google it. Thomas Cooley Law School and worst law school in America. You know, maybe she could have hated Jews a little less and used that time to study a bit more for her law school entrance exam. How about North Dakota State? It's ranked number 277 in the United States in the uh, U.S. News and World Report's annual ranking. And I think there's like 276 colleges. Jamal Bowman, I, as I said, I've never even heard of his schools. These are the people that are making decisions that are affecting the, re- the rest of us. Remedial imbeciles. And it's bad enough that since the pandemic, these deadbeat politicians haven't made any payments on their student loans, even though none of their salaries have been halted or even lessened, unlike the rest of America, who's been financially impacted by, by the pandemic. But now they want America to just give them free money and not make them pay what they promised to pay. They knew what they were signing up for. Like when you sign up for a car loan, you know you got to pay. Oh, it's so unfair. It's so unfair. Well, guess what? too bad. Walk. You don't need a car. You can walk. You want to buy a house? You got to get a mortgage. You don't like it? Rent. But now they don't want to pay their loan money back. And this is just typical leftist behavior. Just no responsibility. Make others pay for their dumbass mistakes. And, and by others, I mean me. That's that's what I mean. In earlier podcast that we talked about, I talk about Iran a lot. Drives me nuts how we're doing absolutely nothing to rain uh, Iran's terrorism in, and each month we're claiming the time is about to run out on these negotiations for the nuke deal, and Biden is you know so desperate to get a deal done because he's failed at basically everything that he's done so far in the past year. Well, this past week, the architect of sanctions on Iran stepped down as U.S. deputy special envoy envoy for Iran after urging a tougher stance on nuclear talks. Two other negotiators also quit their position because they wanted a harder negotiating position. These are people that were appointed by Joe Biden. And they're even quitting because we're too soft on Iran. What does that tell you? They're disgusted. We're giving terrorists who have killed Americans too much. Why? What are we afraid of? And and you know what you don't want to hear about anymore? You don't want to hear about how a Muslim terrorist from England with a criminal history and years of being on the British government terrorism radar, managed to not only get into America, but fly around domestically and end up in Texas holding a Jewish synagogue hostage while spewing anti-Semitic garbage. We're not hearing about that anymore, are we? That issue's getting buried forever. And CARE, you know, the Council for American Islamic Relations, which the White House is so fond of, Even though they're filled with terrorists, they've been deemed a Muslim terror group, they were unindicted co-conspirators in a Muslim terror financing trial, the biggest one ever, in which every defendant was convicted of every charge. Well, guess what? They managed to stay quiet for two weeks after the terror attack at that synagogue. And now they're back to lobbying for the release of the violent Muslim terrorist who is serving an 86-year sentence in America, the very terrorist that the Texas synagogue terrorist tried to get released when he pulled a gun in that temple. Think about that. Think about it for a second. A Muslim civil rights organization that's favored by the White House is seeking the same thing that the Muslim terrorist who took hostages in a synagogue wanted. CARE wants the same thing that Al-Qaeda wants the release of an Al Qaeda terrorist from an American prison, a terrorist who tried to kill Americans. This is America today. And it it takes me back to Joe Biden and, and his claim that he's nominating a black woman to fill retiring Justice Breyer's spot on the Supreme Court. He didn't say that he wants the best candidate. He just said he wants a black woman. And this is bizarre, I think, I'm a lawyer. How about just shutting up and picking a black woman instead of announcing that the most important qualification is the sex and color of the skin for only like the most important judge position in the country? I mean, is this what we want to teach our children? I guess so. Color and sex matters first, not how hard you work, not how smart you are. And this has been going on with affirmative action for decades, obviously, in America. But how did this even come to be, by the way, how did Biden decide that he needed a black woman on the Supreme Court? How? Not because he gives a damn about having another black person on the Supreme Court. He certainly um, has fought other black judges, having them confirmed. He promised the South Carolina congressman, Jim Clyburn, during the 2020 campaign that he would nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. He had performed performed poorly in the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries. And needed a boost in South Carolina in February of 2020, or else he wasn't going to get, have any chance to get the nomination. And he needed it in order to, to run against Trump. So Clyburn, who had chaired the Congressional Black Caucus, offered to endorse Biden, but only if, only if Biden publicly promised to place a woman on the Supreme Court should he get the chance during his time in office. And in this book that came out, just came out, Clyburn said, quote, look, I told you that I wanted you to say. That you were going to name a black woman to the Supreme Court. You haven't done it yet. You've had a bunch of opportunities. Don't you dare leave this stage without doing it. They were at a fundraising event in South Carolina. So that's how we're getting a black woman on the Supreme Court. We've got another black person on the Supreme Court. We've got Hispanic. We've got that. Not an Asian. Not an Indian. Nope, nope, nope. They don't matter. A black woman. A black woman, even though we've got women, we've had multiple women before, and we've had multiple blacks before. And I'm not saying that, that you know, just so we're clear, I'm not saying that a black woman can't be qualified. Of course they can. There's plenty of black women, women that are smart enough as lawyers and judges to, to fill this spot. But to say it from the beginning, that's all you're going to be looking at, it stinks, and it further politicalizes this very important supposedly neutral role. But also, just be clear, it's not just any black woman. He wants a black woman that has the same politics as him. There was a black female judge who, during her confirmation to the Federal Court of Appeals, and that's just the the bench that's right below the Supreme Court, her name was Janice Rogers Brown. Both Joe Biden and, and Barack Obama voted against her appointment. She was black. She just wasn't the right kind of black. Didn't have the right politics much like Clarence Thomas, who in the eyes of the left is an Uncle Tom because he's actually against affirmative action and a whole host of other so-called racial justice laws, even though in fairness, he certainly profited from those laws to get where he is today. And the list of black women that Biden is considering, by the way, in case you were concerned, is just wildly leftist. It's almost like comically leftist. One of them is still ranting on Twitter as of last month Agreeing with Biden that anyone who who dares to oppose his voting rights bill is racist like George Wallace or Bull Connor. One claims that not letting felons vote is the same as slavery. Yeah, that's the same as slavery. Naturally, plenty of Republicans will cross party lines and vote to confirm whatever Biden nominates. But man, Biden pretends to be moderate. He is not. He's just a puppet being run by the far left. And in case you think that I'm wrong on this, and that I'm being racist? Well, guess what? 76% of all Americans want all people of color, of race, everything to be considered for this position on the Supreme Court. Democrats, 54% want all nominees to be considered. How about this one? Non-white Americans, okay? Non-white. Only 28% want Biden to pick a black woman without considering everybody else. That's really significant. So Biden is going completely against not only the will of Republicans, not only against the will of Democrats, the whole country, he's even going against the will of non-whites. Why? Because he's here for one purpose. He's a husk of a man. He's an empty vessel. He's here for one purpose, to advance the leftist agenda. Poop in his diaper and and eat a bunch of ice cream cones. But you know, we were told, we were promised, America was gonna be back. Our allies were gonna be so happy after Trump. We're gonna have a a steady hand in the White House. You know, we're really back, by the way. We screwed over our allies and we pulled out of Afghanistan without telling them. We screwed France France when we undercut their submarine deal with Australia, and Biden ultimately had to apologize for that. We had a horrible summit with China in March. We screwed over all of our Middle Eastern allies by bending over and taking it for Iran and endangering all of them by empowering Iran. China's out of control. Russia's out of control. We just learned that the Ukraine's president and Biden had a horrible disagreement regarding Russia and a possible invasion into the Ukraine on the phone last week. Biden and his administration lied about it. They kept out the disagreement. Well, the Ukrainian president came out and said it. Somehow we were being lied to by our own president. North Korea is testing multiple ballistic missiles. Yeah, things are much better uh, now under Biden. He has a 35% approval rating on foreign policy. In one year, he screwed all this up, worse than Trump ever did. And I'm no fan of Trump. But he was way better on foreign policy than Biden is. I mean, you don't hear Europe laughing at Trump anymore, do you? They're mortified uh, that what that Biden has been in the White House and he's done so many bad things because at least with Trump, they felt safer. They felt there was somebody more loyal, which is almost hard to believe because Trump isn't loyal to anybody, really. But, you know, again, let's not pretend that, you know, Trump is better than Biden. I suppose on foreign policy he is. But how about this one? He came out this weekend that said that when he gets into office, if he wins, In January of 2025, he's going to pardon all of the January 6th defendants. That's what he said. It's only one problem. None of them will still be in jail by then. And he had the chance to pardon them before he left office in January of 21. And he didn't. He was more concerned about Democrat fundraisers and Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne had to be pardoned, but not the people that came to this rally, which turned into a riot because they followed Donald Trump's orders. <sighs> it's really, you know, a minor point anyway, because his supporters were cheering him going crazy when he said this. Not one in the audience, not one in the crowd said, excuse me, President Trump, none of them are still going to be in jail in four years, three years, excuse me. I'll say it again, and I keep saying it. Trump had four years and didn't do a damn thing. He did nothing about voter fraud. He left the threat of Iran intact. He did nothing to stop the the big uh, big tech censorship on social media. He shut down the country due to COVID. He let Anthony Fauci run wild. He allowed kids to be masked in schools. He talked a lot. He tweeted a lot. He allowed the country to get burned down during the George Floyd protests. He didn't send the military in. Now, of course, he's criticizing Biden for not sending the military to our borders. He didn't do many executive orders, and much of what he did accomplish was undone in a year by Biden. Ron DeSantis, on the other hand, is crushing it in Florida. He's ignoring the mask mandates. He's giving Florida freedom, even as their COVID numbers are really no different than the rest of the country. He's letting businesses flourish. People are allowed to earn a living. People from blue states are flocking to Florida. It's not locked down like all the blue states. DeSantis is exactly what Trump pretends to be. And Trump is excoriating him publicly through his minions. There was Roger Stone and some others just ripping DeSantis, saying that he's a bad guy. He's a stupid guy. Can you imagine Trump saying that somebody else is stupid? Jesus fucking Christ. We didn't learn enough from four years of Trump that he's useless. And I'm not a never-Trumper. I'm not a never-Trumper. I just can see with what my, my eyes are telling me. I can hear what my ears are hearing. In four years, we saw Trump. We saw what he could do. He was very good on Twitter. But now we've seen what DeSantis is doing in Florida. He's kicking ass. You know that he's going to do the same thing in the White House if given a chance. Huh. Huh. I got to take a break for a second, catch my breath, take some water. I'll be back in a second. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. We're back with Beyond the Legal Limit, and now we're going to go to the legal side of my my podcast. I don't think I can rant much more. That wasn't bad. That was like a, a three on a one to ten In 2010, late 2010, I get a call from WPIX, that's Channel Eleven in New York, a reporter, TV reporter. Apparently he'd been charged with assaulting the driver of the Bahamian United Nations ambassador. He was looking for a parking spot. His name was Vince Dementry, by the way. He was looking for a parking spot by 42nd Street and Third Avenue on the day of the Muslim terrorist attack in Times Square. I don't know if you remember that. That was a Pakistani national in uh, 2010, who had just become an American citizen, of course, and he tried to detonate a car bomb in, in Times Square, but it failed. Vince was on his way, he was on a deadline, actually, trying to get to the scene of the terror attack, and he's looking for press parking spaces in the area on the street on 3rd Avenue. But naturally, all the spaces were used by people who didn't have press passes on their cars. And one of the spaces was inhabited by a guy who was actually physically still in the car at the time, just waiting outside of a mes- Mexican restaurant, waiting to pick up food. Who is he waiting for the food for? The ambassador from Bahamas. Now, naturally, there's a diplomatic parking. There's diplomatic parking all over that area. They've got little peas and stuff like that. Anyway, it's right by the UN, but this guy was parked in a, in a press space instead. So Vince, Vince allegedly yells at the guy to move his car, and the guy flips Vince off, supposedly, something like that. And the two men start yelling. Vince is from outside the car, standing on the sidewalk. And the driver, by the way, who happened to be from Sri Lanka, but worked for the ambassador from the Bahamas, he's in his car, you know, sitting in the driver's seat with the driver's side window open halfway. And then, according to the criminal complaint, Vince smacks the guy, somehow manages to aim a smack from up high, hits him upside the head through the window. Now, Vince is known uh, as somewhat of a hothead, he's an aggressive dude a former college football player, a big guy, and he's got very little patience for annoying people. He'd previously been arrested for impersonating a federal agent trying to get into the World Trade Center ground zero after, you know, you guessed it, another Muslim terror attack, this time the 9-11 attack. And Vince came to me very frustrated and scared and angry, mostly angry. He had hired another lawyer but felt that the lawyer had done nothing on the case and the trial was coming up soon. And if he was convicted... He would surely lose his career. He was already immediately fired by WPIX as soon as he was arrested. They didn't care whether he was guilty or innocent. They just couldn't handle the press and they fired him. But he figured that if he got an acquittal, maybe he could get his job back or at least his name wouldn't be mud in the country because of this, you know, the horrible news of his arrest. Now, I had to get an acquittal, obviously. Anything short of an acquittal would not be complete vindication for Vince Demetri unless they dismissed the case. And normally, this is lots of pressure on a defense lawyer because it's not something you can usually guarantee. But this is one of the two times in my career in 31 years that I did, in fact, guarantee an acquittal. And the case was really straightforward. The alleged assault occurred in the middle of the day on a busy street in Manhattan with restaurant patrons just inside this Mexican restaurant right by the curb. They could see out the front window, you know, just a few feet away. But somehow, the state had no other eyewitnesses to back up the victim. There was no video somehow. Nothing. Just the word of this one driver from Sri Lanka. And it's a pretty lame case. It's basically a he said, he said. But naturally, because the victim was a driver for the Bahamian ambassador to America, the DA had to prosecute it. Had to. Just had to. So important. Had nothing to do with justice, but is typical of the DA's office, Politics is more important than justice. And I implored the prosecutor, and it was a young guy, I implored him to just dismiss the case as it was weak. But he told me he wasn't allowed to. The case had to go to trial or we had to take a plea, which was just incredible to me. Like Somehow, the rights of a Sri Lankan who's working for the ambassador from Bahamas is more important than an American citizen? if it was anybody else but a driver for the Bahamian ambassador, the case never would have even been brought, let alone have to go to trial. Now, supposedly, according to the the hospital report, because, of course, he had to go to the hospital after getting smacked through a window in a car, and he supposedly had some legitimate injuries. He had a red mark on his head. And The guy seemed to be a a sad dude with no axe to grind, according to the statement that he gave to the cops. But as I said, it was just a one witness case, which seemed bizarre because there were so many people in the area at the time. How does nobody come forward when the cops showed up? So in order to win this case, obviously, we had to decimate the victim. And if you decimate the victim, you cut off the head of the snake, the snake dies. So I noticed in the file, the first thing that a civil lawyer had already sent a letter to Vince's former lawyer. He wasn't asking for money, just letting him know that he was there and that if he had any questions or anything, it just not to contact the victim directly, but he had a lawyer, he was represented. So in three seconds, I Googled that lawyer and sure enough, it was a personal injury lawyer. Now, the surest way to destroy a witness's credibility, especially as I said in a he said, he said case, is to show that they're just after money. And if there's a conviction in a criminal case, A legal concept called collateral estoppel attaches, meaning that in a civil lawsuit for the very same thing that occurred in the criminal trial, if there's a conviction, you don't have to reprove that it actually happened. You just go right to money damages, the amount of damages that he suffered. Now, the great majority of personal injury lawyers know this, so they try to lay low until after the criminal case is over. They don't want to talk about any civil case because they know that a lawyer like me is going to use it. To destroy the victim, their client's credibility, and if they don't get a conviction, it's a hell of a lot harder to get a civil recovery. Somehow, not this PI lawyer. He didn't. He couldn't figure it out. I called him up and asked him if he was planning on suing Vince, and he wouldn't commit. I then asked him to send me an email. I said, "Look, we may be able to settle your civil case before the criminal case. I know you're bringing it. That's why he hired you. And if we can settle it, maybe I can go to the prosecutor." And convince him that, well, since your client's been made whole, there's no need to have this criminal case. Incredibly, the civil lawyer actually bought that line of bullshit. Absolutely incredible to me. I just wanted an email from the lawyer saying that he wanted money from Vince for the witness, for the victim, just so I can, you know, smash it in his face when I cross-examined him. And I got the email and I'm thinking, my God, how desperate. Must this victim be if he hired a civil lawyer like five minutes after he was allegedly slapped? It was a slap. So anyone dumb enough to be so transparent about wanting a money gram, to me, it's a pretty big red flag. Like, this dude has major financial issues. So I got a hold of his credit report. And, you know, this is back then when you were actually allowed to get your hands on a credit report. Much harder nowadays. It's illegal. And sure enough, it showed that the guy was just completely broke. He had just lost a house to foreclosure for uh, failing to pay the mortgage. And in the filing, which occurred just days after he claimed he was assaulted by Vince, he said that he had zero dollars, not a single dollar in his pocket. And by the way, he had a second home. I mean, how great is America? On this one, he was so far behind on the mortgage payments that he was told foreclosure proceedings were about to start. He was being sued by credit card companies. He owed over $50,000 in charges on multiple cards. And when one card was canceled due to non-payment, he didn't just pay it off. He took out other cards and ran up debt, and then they were closed, and it was one after another. He stopped even making the minimum payments on the cards right around the time that this slapping supposedly occurred. He was also being sued by his doctor for not paying a doctor's bill. His cell phone even was in collection, the cell phone bill, like an $80 bill. That's how pathetic this guy was. Now, the truth is, most lawyers would not go this far as I did on a misdemeanor case. I mean, getting the victim's credit report, but getting all of his civil litigation, and I even had his bank account statements so I could see the bounce checks to see the low balances. I mean, I went bonkers. But what choice did I have? I mean, this was for Vince's career it was his life. Just because it's a misdemeanor case doesn't mean that it's not important to him. So of course I had to do everything. To him, this was like a murder case for him. Now, combined with the fact that there were no eyewitnesses, as I said, despite the fact that the assault occurred in a right outside a packed restaurant in the middle of the day in Manhattan, combined with the fact that it would be pretty hard to be standing above somebody in a car and aiming a crack through a half-open window and landing right on the side of the victim's head, the the so-called victim clearly exaggerated his injuries. And the reason he exaggerated them was for obvious reasons, is that he wanted more money, more money, more injuries, more money. And I was reading the, the medical reports, and he claimed that the injury was so severe that he needed facial x-rays, thought his face was broken up. He was supposedly hit so hard that he had numbness in his arm. That's like when you say, I'm going to hit you so hard, your entire family tree is going to shake. Well, that's what happened to this guy. I'm going to hit you so hard, I'm going to knock you into last Tuesday. Same thing. He He got slapped in the face, so he had numbness in his arm. And yes, he did have a red mark on his face, according to the police, but I'm convinced he punched himself in the face. Now, right before the trial, the state prosecutor does what happens to me in a lot of uh, the the handful of misdemeanor cases. I have most of them. They then lower the charge to the lowest form of misdemeanor from an A misdemeanor to a B. Why do they do that? Because then I'm not entitled to a jury trial. The state could ask for a bench trial, which means that the judge and the judge alone would determine guilt or innocence. And, And I guess the reason is, is they don't want me in front of a jury. I, I suppose they think that my overwhelming charm on unsuspecting jurors is just going to carry the day. And in this case, I'm going to have a judge without the jury, and it'll be much tougher for my impressive brand of bullshit, I suppose, to work. That That's the thinking. Guess what? It never works. Now, and I'm not talking about my bullshit. I mean the strategy to lower the charge to a B. They still lose all the trials. Now, as an added twist to this ridiculous case, this is the worst part of it. My dog, Calvin, got very sick right before the trial started. And he's a, a 15, almost 15-year-old 15 Shih Tzu at the time. And I was afraid that he might die during the trial. And anyone who knows me knows how much I loved that dog. I mean, that dog was like <laughs> the most important thing in the world to me. I love that dog. I'm a huge animal lover. And as I said, he was nearly 15. He was not in good shape, and I didn't want to spend my time in this asinine trial, which was only a trial because the DA, Cy Vance, uh, the Manhattan district attorney, was too much of a hack to actually just dismiss it or never even bring it, even though he knew it was going to go badly. And I asked the prosecutor at the beginning of the trial to go back to his boss and ask for a dismissal as my dog was dying. And everybody knew that this case was going to be bad for them. He told me flat out, no, he didn't even, wouldn't even go back. I said to him, I'm asking you to at least go back. You know how bad this case is getting. Just go back so I don't have to spend the next week and a half on this bullshit. He said, No. So my response was not only am I going to kick the shit out of you during this case, but I'm going to humiliate you along the way. Enjoy it. And I was pissed. I really was. So the case started and the cross examination went worse than I ever could have imagined. And I, by worse, I mean worse for the so called victim. He was forced to admit. That the medical record showed no swelling to his face, despite him claiming that the pain was a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10. He needed 12 weeks of physical therapy, three times a week, for his fake numb arm, which was damaged when he was fake slapped in the face. He claimed he hadn't hired a personal injury lawyer to sue Vince. And then I pulled out that email and showed it to him, his lawyer demanding money from Vince. And he grudgingly admitted that he did, in fact, have a personal injury lawyer. I asked him why he initially hadn't let us inspect his car. I wanted to see what the car looked like, see how the window worked, despite us serving him a subpoena. It's fair. He claimed that he had a cold and he was on bed rest for two weeks. I went through every credit card he had with the statements, every dollar that he owed, every bounce check. It was ridiculous. And it took hours. Showed that he kept on charging other cards when he stopped making payments on other cards after they were closed. I went through all the lawsuits for the money that he owed. It was so ugly. I went through all these mortgage non payments and his mortgage applications when he was asked if he had ever been sued for non payment of bills before and he lied and said that he had not been. And obviously, the, what I was going to argue is that if he's willing to lie on a mortgage application, He's certainly willing to lie under oath in court today. And it was really uh, just a painful cross for this Sri Lankan. It got so bad that the judge actually called me up to sidebar and said, you've made your point and you're crossing him like he's Sammy Gravano and he's killed 20 people. Can you calm down already? When is this going to be over? And I looked back at the judge and said, are you prepared to acquit, to stop the case right now and acquit? The judge said, no, I can't do that now. I said, well, then fine. I'm not done yet and I continued. But the best part of the cross was after getting beaten around for hours, for hours, and it was just brutal. The victim claimed that Vince called him the N-word during the uh, argument on the street, which is like as bad as you can imagine how it would would look in the press. Uh, There's only one problem. It was all over the press, of course. None of this about Vince calling him the N-word was in any police report, in any of the interviews that the victim had given. Never once had mentioned it. It was not in the complaint that was brought against Vince. It was not in any reports by the prosecutors who interviewed this victim. He just lied and made it up on the spot to smear Vince, hoping to convince the judge, I guess, that, that he should convict Vince because Vince was a racist. And I flipped out and immediately asked the judge for permission on my side of the case, the call as a witness, the very prosecutor who was trying the case against me, the one who wouldn't dismiss it. I wanted to ask him under oath if, in fact, the victim told him during the briefings, during trial prep, ever if Vince had called the victim the N-word. I knew that it wasn't in the notes. I had the notes. I knew the answer already, but the judge didn't know that it, was in, well, it wasn't in the notes. You know, and if he also had actually called them the N-word, the case would have been charged as a hate crime, but it was not. The judge said I could call the prosecutor after the state rested their case. So I continued my cross and started pointing out every handwritten statement that he had made about the alleged assault, which had no mention of Vince calling him the N-word. Every police interview, no N-word, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the cross-examination, an extraordinary thing happened. After four hours of just this massive shit kicking on cross, the witness claimed he suddenly needed an interpreter, that he was having a hard time understanding my questions, even though he lived in America for decades and had answered them perfectly for four hours. And also, by the way, on direct examination from the prosecutor, for four hours, no interpreter on cross. There's only one problem, because he was from Sri Lanka. He needed a Sinhalese interpreter, and there were none in the courthouse, naturally. So we had to adjourn until a Sinhalese interpreter could be found. And this was on a Wednesday. We were told that we would not be able to get one, had to be flown in, until the following Tuesday for an interpreter to be made available for this witness. The next day, Calvin died, and I was a complete and total wreck. It hurt me more than I suppose even when my parents died, if you can believe. I mean, I was certainly closer to Calvin. It was awful. And instead of focusing on Calvin and the grief that I had, I had to continue this idiotic trial with this low-life clown from Sri Lanka who was incapable of telling the truth about even the tiniest of details. When I got my hands on him on Tuesday, it was as expected. It was a little slower, of course, because all my questions had to be translated into Sinhalese and then translated back to me the answers to English. And when I got tired, literally when my arms got tired of pounding this jackass into the dirt, I stopped. The state rested after, I mean, I ended up, uh, they rested, that was their last witness. I called the prosecutor to the stand and not only did I make him admit that the witness never claimed that Vince used the N-word, but I absolutely abused him for this stupid meaningless case which wasted time and resources of the court and cost Vince his reputation. When it was over, we gave our summations. I sat down. It was a five-minute summation. And as soon as I sat down, the judge, with his hand, said, stand up to me and Vince. He announced that Vince was acquitted and walked off the bench. And he was pissed as as well at the stupidity of the Manhattan DA's office for even bringing the case. But that's Cy Vance. It's all about politics to him. The five-second acquittal was all over the media, but Vince never got hired back by WPIX. His reputation was in tatters due to the arrest, despite the acquittal. I offered to speak to his bosses, but they wouldn't even speak to me. So because this scumbag liar from Sri Lanka had no money, Vince Dementry had to lose his TV reporter career? Where did he go to get his reputation back, the money that he spent on his defense? the money that he lost by losing his job? Why doesn't the rich DA who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, the son of Cyrus Vance, who was more worried about politics than justice, why didn't he pay Vince back? Didn't even apologize. And I couldn't bring a lawsuit as it wasn't like uh, I could claim that the DA's office had ironclad evidence that their victim lied. They just surely knew they were going to have a hard time convicting him, an impossible time. Life really can be unfair sometimes, and this is why I hate prosecutors mostly, because at the end of the day, they're less concerned about justice than they are about winning a case, even when they know that justice is being perverted, and why I never trust former prosecutors as defense lawyers now. That's why. I'll see a defense lawyer, and he's a former federal prosecutor, former state prosecutor. I don't trust them, because to me, they don't really believe in what they're doing They're still prosecutors deep down. How can you put people in jail one day and the next day pretend to care about the people that are charged with crimes? You simply can't. It's just a a ruse. It's an act. I'm reading uh, El Chapo's appeal was denied this week and I'm seeing on social media all the prosecutors who are now defense lawyers congratulating uh, the Department of Justice. How would you like to pay these assholes a million dollars for your defense? and you see that they're congratulating the very office that's prosecuting you. you got to be one stupid son of a bitch to do that. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. That was some good rage for 53 minutes or so. You can find me on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on iHeartRadio. If you have any feedback, feel free to send it. Maybe a little less hate mail this week. I didn't talk about Rashawn Weaver, so no need to tell me that you hope that I die. We'll be back next week. With another episode, thanks for joining.